How have you done this week? It's been a challenging week in some ways, hasn't it, with the weather? And uh, I so appreciated Steve's prayer where, um, where we take in the beauty of the snow and also deal with the challenges. But I love the way that God speaks, that though your sin be as scarlet, he has made, them, made it white as snow. And when you look at the beauty of that, um, wow, God has done a great work in us. Amen? Amen. So we are actually going to be talking a little bit even about creation and seeing God in this message. But I'd like to go back to, uh, to last week. Uh, last week, Pastor Phil kicked off this uh, series in Romans, and uh, we're going to be in this book for a lot of months, and it's going to be an incredible journey together as we uh, dive in and unpack what Paul has written uh, to the church in Romans that is for us for today. And if you didn't, as Chris has said, if you didn't see or hear that message, I want to encourage you to connect. Uh, God used Phil in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, just the, the anointing uh, on that word and on um, what was brought to us is just so powerful. I want to touch on the three points that, that he had made uh, primarily, and it was this, that as we look at the book of Romans, we're, we see that outreach shouldn't feel like an option, but a holy obligation. When we look at being uh, unashamed of the gospel, when we look at what God has done, uh, outreach should, us telling other people about the good news of Jesus Christ shouldn't be an option but a holy obligation. Secondly, understanding the power of the gospel makes us unashamed to preach it. The infinite power of the good news of Jesus Christ uh, causes us to be unashamed. You know, uh, when I have to stand in my own strength, my own wisdom, my own power, my own might, there's reasons to be cowardice, Right? But we're talking about the infinite power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that leads us to be unashamed. And then finally, a faith to faith, it changes shame to unashamed. That when we understand that, that faith from first to last, from beginning to end, uh, from beginning to beyond end, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He existed before creation and exists forever. And we are called by faith into a relationship with him that lasts forever. That leads us to be unashamed. We have eternal hope, eternal home, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And through him, we have the opportunity now to share and draw others, lead others to him. So today we're going to be, we looked at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 in the first week. Today our focus is verses 18 through 32. However, what I'd like to do is first go back to uh, the key verses, the theme verses that you're going to hear throughout the entire study of the book of Romans, and that's verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. And Paul declares this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, you'll notice that there are uh, verse numbers in that passage, and when I referenced it, I said Romans 1, uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, those chapters and verse numbers were not in the original letter. And this is important for us to know because often when we're reading the Bible, they're a help. When, I, when we say turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we can all go to the same place. We can reference the same verses. But the reality is that chapter numbers didn't, didn't exist until over a 1,000 years after this letter was written, that there wasn't a division by chapter. But chapters were, were added, and then a couple hundred years later, verse numbers were added as for the purpose of referencing. Uh, so now, you know, yesterday, I don't know if there are any of those signs up, but if somebody holds up John 3.16, we're glad for chapter and verse because people can go and they know exactly what it says. 
But when we're studying the Word of God, it's important for us to read beyond that. What I mean by that is that when there's a break in a chapter, where there's a break in a section, within many Bibles there are sections, and those sections help to organize it, but they can also uh, interrupt the flow as we're reading. Uh, So what I've done, I've taken these last two verses from last week and the first verse of this week, and I've removed the verse numbers. I know some of you just cringe. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It really is. Uh, So what I want to do is read again verses 16 and 17 and go right into 18 because they're all connected. And in my Bible, there's a, a heading which is good. It's a title. describes what's coming. But yet sometimes that can interrupt what is being said in the letter. So let's read again. We're adding verse 18. Again, this is the flow. It's a continuation. It's not an interruption when we're moving from last week to this week. Paul says this in writing to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now you see that there's a word in brackets there, and that that word is for. Uh, That's not in the NIV translation, but in most modern translations, that word for is there. And what it does, again, it, it bridges, it creates a connection between what we had uh, read and studied last week, the righteous will live by faith for the wrath of God is being revealed. That there's an intimate connection, there's a need to bring these two together. And whether the word for is there or not, there's a flow, there's a connection. And we're gonna see as we study today how God is desiring for us to see the fuller picture. That he is desiring to lay a foundation even in the section that we're looking at today that, that then the gospel is built upon. Now, the gospel has already existed. It was God's plan from the beginning. However, this section leads us to our understanding of the need of the gospel. It helps us to to have that foundation so that the gospel has greater meaning. Uh, So today we're going to be looking at, and uh, I think this is probably the third title I've had for this message, um, but this came last night and is this, Rescue from God's Wrath. Rescue from God's Wrath is what we're going to be looking at today. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. All the time, Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are perfect, that you are just, that you are merciful, that you are love. Uh, God, and we can keep going on and on. And today, Lord, we desire to know you more. Uh, God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, God, we thank you for this fellowship that we have uh, together in you. And Lord, we present ourselves to you and say, God, speak to us. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying. God, I pray that you would guide my words, that uh, my words not would be uh, not my own, but yours. God, I pray that you would help every ear to hear what you're desiring to speak to each one of us, uh, both corporately and individually. Uh, God, help our minds to be open to hear and to understand what you're saying and our hearts to receive. And God, I pray that you would also give us the confidence, Lord, to trust you so that we walk in obedience. Uh, So, God, we offer ourselves to you. Thank you again for uh, the gift of this time. We thank you for your word, and we pray, God, have your way. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. I really have a hard time saying amen when I'm praying for you all, because I feel like at the end I should say, and everybody sang. Um, One of these days, wrath, powerful word. 
We're talking about the rescue from God's wrath. It's not a rescue from God, but rescue from God's wrath. And we're going to see how he has provided that rescue for us. But wrath, what is it? A definition from today's uh, dictionary would say this. Wrath is the emotional response to perceived right and, I'm sorry, to perceived wrong and injustice. An emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice. So it's, it's something that's being stirred up. Some other words that are often used uh, in replacement of wrath could be this. Anger, indignation, vexation, or irritation. Now what I want to lay out right now is that there's a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. Okay, there's a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. When God exercises his wrath, he is doing it from the wholeness of who he is his full character, and his full nature. When man exercises wrath, we do it from a limited perspective. Uh, It's from knowing in part. We do it from a place where we are not holy, we are not just. Uh, We cannot exercise wrath in the way that God does, nor are we called to. But we're talking about rescue from God's wrath today. And and to highlight this difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man, I want to refer back to a story, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And this is a follow-up Guess what? To chapter 11. That makes sense. Okay. The chapter before tells the story of, of David's sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he should have been out, out fighting. He should have been at war with his army, but instead he was at home. And, they, and when he was at home, he was tempted. It led him to a sin where he, he slept with Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. So he committed adultery. And then he tried to cover it up. He, he had Uriah brought back, and he tried to, to hide the sin because Bathsheba had become pregnant. He wanted to make it look like the, the child belonged to Uriah. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, so what he did, he had Uriah killed. So you think about these sins uh, from, uh, from committing adultery then to murder. Uh, but then he finally uh, he marries Bathsheba, uh, and they have a child. Chapter 12, I want to encourage you. In fact, I'm sorry, I should have said this earlier. I'm going to be referencing a number of um, different verse references that it would be helpful maybe to write down to read later. Uh, I know that, that, again, I'm highlighting some things, but it really helps to go through the passage yourself. And also even as we're going through Romans chapter 1, if you have Scripture in front of you, it'll be helpful because I'm going to read through it, then we're going to be referring back. But 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. And in that story, he, he basically says that there's a rich man that had a guest, and he had tons of livestock and all that, but instead of, of, of giving his own as food, he went to a poor man who had only had one, one little ewe lamb, and that was so special to them. But that rich man took that ewe lamb from the poor man and, and served it to his guest. He had it cooked and served it to the guest. David, just hearing the story, it says his wrath basically stirred up in a huge way. The scripture says that, that his faith arises against the, 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 the man in the story, against this, um, this rich man. And what does he say? He said, that man is deserving of death. He passes judgment. His wrath has, has risen up. And what does Nathan say? You are that man. Whew. He didn't see it. He didn't see his own lostness. He didn't see his own action. When he saw it outside of himself, he came against it powerfully in wrath and in anger. And then he realized, you are that man. When he heard it, he knew it to be true. And he repented. He confessed. He acknowledged, yes, I am. And David is is defined as, as a man or called by God as a man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. 
But what did he do with mistakes? He brought them to God then. Not right away. He hid from God. He tried to, tried to cover up. But when he was confronted with the word of God, he said, okay, I cast myself on, on you, O Lord. And Nathan declares, your sins are forgiven. God has forgiven you, but there's a consequence. And there was consequence to David's action. So what happens is that when we see this in David, we say, oh, poor David. Well, poor us, because we can do the same thing. We can, be, we can be lashing out against somebody else, passing judgment on them, and not realize that we're guilty of the very same thing. Uh, so as we go into this passage, I want us to go in with awareness. Uh, one thing is to realize that when we are deceived, we don't know it. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the whole concept of being deceived means I'm unaware that I'm deceived. If I, if I was aware, then I wouldn't be deceived. And the, the enemy is a deceiver. He wants us to be lost. He wants us not to know. He wants us not to see clearly. But the word of God is light and brings life. And, and God is desiring again to show us light so that we can step into the fullness of life that he has provided. So as we go into this passage today, there's something that's really, really important that we understand when we're talking about wrath. And that God's wrath that's, that's talked about throughout this passage and is through the entirety of this, these verses 18 to th- through 32 It's talking about a present wrath, a wrath that God is pouring out presently. And what that means, it's it's for a season, it's for a time, it's temporary. It's not permanent, and it's not irreversible. It's really, really important that we see that. Again, that God's wrath in this passage today is not permanent, it's not irreversible. However, there is a future wrath. And that's addressed actually even next week and throughout Scripture. In fact, wrath is spoken about 11 times throughout the, the book of Romans. But the future wrath is irreversible. It's eternal. It's a final judgment. That is not what, what Paul is talking about in this portion of the letter. So we need to make sure that we're distinguishing between those. Uh, so what we're going to do is now read through the entirety of today's passage, starting with verse 18. We've already touched that, but we're going to read 18 through 32. I'm going to have it on the screen. If you would like to follow along, you can. And the font on the back screen is a 30-point, and that requires glasses. So um, <laughs> two weeks ago, ago, some of you know that I, uh, this was a prop, <laughs> and it was a, there was a purpose in it. I have not worn them in two weeks. Uh, so <laughs> um, but I do want to read from the back screen. Uh, here's the thing is that this, the, this was a physical prop two weeks ago to address seeing. What I want to assure you is this, is that though I have not worn my glasses, God is continuing to help me to see uh, more through his eyes as I look at myself and others and as I look at him. Uh, but this will be helpful as I look at the back screen. Honestly, first serves, I haven't struggled with the glasses, so I think it's just a too small of a font. But feel free to read along. Um, it's, again, beginning with verse 18 uh, of Romans chapter 1. Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator 
who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their woman, women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So as we walk through this passage, we talked about the connection between passages and verses and chapters. I want us to just move forward one more verse. Because next week as we begin uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 tells us this. And we need to take heed as we look through this. You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So as we walk through this passage, let's be careful. Let's guard ourselves against judgment. There's one true judge, right judge, and he is God. So what we're going to do as we look at this wrath, um, the rescue from God's wrath, the first thing we're going to look at is the why of God's wrath. The why of God's wrath. And these first scriptures down from 18 to 23 are going to lead us to see this, that God's wrath comes when people refuse to see God for who he is. God's wrath comes when people refuse to see God for who he is. So God's wrath is a response. You need to see that God's wrath is a response to people's godlessness, which is their offenses against God, and their, and their wickedness, which is their sins against other men, mankind. So this is, again, it's a response of God to man for their godlessness and their wickedness. It says they suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, how do you suppress truth? Okay, truth is truth. You can't change it, but you can, you can suppress it. It means you, you hold it down, you set it aside, you, you ignore it. These are ways that, that man suppresses, um, suppresses truth. Now notice, it's saying that, that they say, um, let me find it in the passage, who suppress the truth for their wickedness, by, or by their wickedness, the truth. It doesn't say a truth, it says the truth. And this is so important that we grab hold of this because the reality is that there is only one truth. Do we believe that? There, there is one truth. So in today's society, we've heard over and over again that you have your truth, I have my truth. Or truth can change. What was true back then is not true for today. Here's the reality, is that if I have my truth and you have your truth and they're not the same, they can't be, both be truth. I mean, isn't... Isn't that true? The reality is this, is that we could both be wrong. Okay? That, that truth is not up for man's decision. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there is the truth. There is one truth, and God is the one who has established that truth. Now, the thing is, is that that truth is for our good. But there is one truth. And what he says again in verse 18 is that people suppress the truth by their wickedness. They're pushing it down, what is true. So when a person stands before God, when each one of us stands before God, and we give account for what we have done in this life, will we each have a different measure that we will be measured by? Well, you believe this, so God's going to say you're measured by this. We'll, we'll all be measured by the same truth. When we stand before God, we will all be measured by the same truth, and that truth is God himself. So what Paul says is that, that through all of creation, all of mankind, that there is what's called a general revelation, that God has revealed himself, and it's through his creation. That In Psalm, Psalm 19, again, I'm not going to take time to read it now, but the first six verses especially, when you go to Psalm 19, it talks about that heavens declare the glory of the Lord. You look around, and honestly, like I look out you know, in our backyard and across the field and you see the snow, it's like, I see God. You know, I, like, and, and that's one small part of this earth, but the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. That God says that, that, that literally men are without excuse. No one has excuse because God said, here I am, here's who I am. Through his creation, he has actually given um, a revelation of his invisible qualities. It says that his creation tells of his eternal power, his divine nature. So he says that men, men are without excuse. Not only has he created all of this to bring revelation of himself, but he has also placed within our hearts a, a, a longing for eternity and a desire to worship. We are people that worship. Whether it's God or something or someone else, we are people of worship, but eternity has been placed within our hearts. So people are without excuse, but what happens? People refuse to see God for who he is. God's wrath comes when people refuse to see God for who he is. God knew that, that this would happen. He knew that they, they would not worship him. In fact, he says that's what happened. They do not worship him. They don't give thanks. They don't look to him as the source and the one who is worthy of glory, honor, and praise. What happens, the result of that? When, when people don't acknowledge God, they don't give thanks to him, they don't honor him, they, they don't worship him, they're turned over to a futile way of thinking. It says that, that, that they are turned over to futile thinking and, and to darkened hearts. Thinking they're wise, they become fools. Now, Henry Cloud has a teaching. It's excellent. It's, called, it's on um, the, the wise, the foolish, and evil. And the wise and the foolish, I want to just give you a quick a touch on that. He says that the wise are those, and we've had teaching on this uh, in, in past, uh, past seasons, but wise, are those, wise people are those that see the light and adjust to the light. Foolish are those that see the light and adjust the light, okay? Instead of saying, wow, it's like David, instead of saying, yes, I've sinned, it's like, you know, there's this continual pushing away of that. And then evil is, is intentional, intentional um, malice against what is good. But, but the wise and the foolish, again, we're turned over, mankind is turned over to be fools. We're constantly ignoring the light and trying to adjust the light and change the light instead of allowing ourselves to be changed. Now, the reality is this, is that on our best days, and our best moments, we're probably wise. That when we see the light, we adjust, but we are, we are all, at times, foolish. But what happens, the more that we keep our eyes focused on God, the more that we acknowledge him, the more that we worship him and we give thanks to him, we move to, to being wise, okay? But he's, Paul's again saying this is what happened, and they're thinking 
they become foolish. So we were look, we've looked now at the why of God's wrath. Now we're going to look at the weight of God's wrath. We're, this is from verses uh, uh, 24 down through the end of the chapter, the weight of God's wrath. Three times in this passage, there's this four-letter four phrase, or four-word phrase, and it's this. God gave them over. It's so verses 24, 26, and 28. God gave them over. What does it mean that God gave them over? It, it literally is that simple. He basically says, you want to do it your way? Do it your way. It's not even, I don't hesitate to say it this way, but it's not even an act of wrath of God pouring something, something out. It's him remain, removing his restraint and saying, if you want to go down this path, I'm going to let you go down this path. God gave them over. Now, that may seem cruel. It's like, how could a God who loves us do that? The reality is that he's given us all of creation and when we fail to see all of creation, see him in all that, when he's given within our hearts that, uh, that longing for eternity and for worship and we don't turn to him, God has to choose another way. And that way is to give them over. Now, a story that captures this in an absolutely beautiful way and helps us to understand the heart of God in this is the prodigal son. Uh, Luke chapter 15, again, the last uh, half of that chapter, tells the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was a younger one who said, give me my inheritance I want to go. And what did the father do? The father loved his son, but he gave him over. He said, okay, here's your inheritance. You're free to leave. And what that younger son did, he went and he spent all that he had on riotous living. Um, and then he, real, he literally had exhausted everything he had been given. Again, he was, he was given over. He exhausted everything he had been given, finds himself feeding the pigs, and longs to eat what the pigs eat. And it says in that point, at that point, he came to his senses. It took falling down that far. The father giving him over allowed him to discover the end of his ways. But what happened? There's beauty. I realized, you know what? Even servants have it better than I have have it back in my father's house. I'm going to go back and I want to be a servant. But what he did when he went back, he found a father who was reaching out for him. His father never stopped loving him, never stopped longing for him. He never stopped being his son. The father embraces him and calls him back and, and throws a feast that's, that's a giving over. So if you can see that picture, that loving father gave over his son to his own desires, but it was for the purpose of restoring, for the purpose of making things right and, and cause, leading that relationship to be what it was intended to be. So there are three things that God says uh, when it says he, God gave them over. The first one is this. In verse 24, it says that God gave them over to sexual impurity. God gave them over to sexual impurity. It caused them to degrade their bodies with one another. So acts of sexual impurity, what, what's it say? It says it has the, the roots, when you look at the scripture, has its roots in the, in the sinful desires of people's hearts that lead them to do what should not be done. That sexual impurity has its roots inside. It's not that God that's causing this. God play, placed within us certain desires, but they're desires that are, that are to be fulfilled in ways that God has created for them to be fulfilled. But what happens is that the world distorts what God has created. And that leads to, to, to action. In James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, it says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Can you see that within your life? 
that we're tempted when we're drawn away by, by what's inside of us. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what does the scripture, again, in Romans say? It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It says a lie. What is that lie? More than likely, it's the lie that was, that was been used from the very beginning, back in the garden. The lie that, that was exchanged for the truth says, God doesn't really want what's best for me. I can't trust him. That lie says that, that God's concerned I'm going to be like him. I want to be like God. And I believe that that's, that lie has been pervasive throughout human history. And there's this exchanging, again, of truth of God for a lie. It says they worshiped and served created things rather than the, than the creator. They lived for the, for the visible, for the temporary things, instead of embracing the eternal God. So God gave them over to sexual impurity. Secondly, in verse 26, it says that God gave them over to shameful lust. To shameful lust. Now here, Peter clearly describes homosexual relationships. Women with women and men with men. And, it says, and he says that the consequences were manifested through their sexual practices. Now, I know that this is a topic that's debated within our culture. It's debated within faith community. And it's even been a, a divider of major Christian denominations. So the fundamental issue is this. Who determines the truth? The culture of the day or the eternal word of God? And it's a battle because this is, um, it becomes inflamed because of, uh, of the arguments and the rhetoric around this. So, but who determines the truth? Is it the culture or is it the word of God? We must stand on the truth of the word of God. As I said, it's the only truth. Culture is, will, will one day say, that, say one thing and then change later. And if you look even back at the laws of the land, if you look at, at, at over the course of, of human history, uh, man is going to call different things right and wrong at different seasons. But the word of God stands forever. He is the, the, the establishment of truth. What scripture is clearly and repeatedly defined as appropriate is that sexual activity is to be contained within the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. That's how God describes it. Any sexual activity beyond, beyond that in any way or form is not according to God's word. This is birthed out of his character and out of his nature. I want you to hear, we are not judging. We are not hating. You know, often when there's a difference of a perspective, there's, there's accusation that there's hate. Can I tell you this, that, that when we say this, um, make this statement, even though we're reading the word of God, we can say, oh, you're a hater. Well, does disagreeing make us hating? I hope not. If that's true, then for those that don't believe in the Christian faith because they don't agree, are they hating us? We, are to, we, we can have disagreements. We can see things differently, but we are called to love. And here's the thing is that, that we can take truth. We can, even what I'm saying right now, because many times this passage has been all about these couple verses. That people have gone to this chapter and, and they use this at, literally as a weapon. Now, I understand that there can be the, the, uh, the, the desire to promote and to, to lead to understanding of the truth. But yet we can take the very word of God that God has given us in love and we can use it as a weapon. And honestly, I want to cry. You want to think that we can take the precious word of God, the eternal word of God, and literally use it as a weapon to hit people. 
and to try to push an idea that may be a right idea, but you know what? The right thing said in the wrong way is wrong. We are called to speak the truth in love. That means that, that I, I'm called, and I believe this, I'm called to speak the truth. I, I can't wipe, I can't candy coat it, I can't, can't do anything but speak the truth. But in love says this, that I'm willing to die for the sin that is in your life. Will we handle the truth of the word of God that way? I know that God has brought me many, many times in my life, literally, where I've, I needed to have in my heart and willingness to pay the penalty for the wrong that the other person did. We're called to speak the truth in love. Now, again, I mean, I realize that, that even addressing this is difficult because it stirs a lot of things in a lot of our hearts. There's an emotional response because this isn't just a concept, this isn't just an idea. This is key to our lives. This impacts our lives in a deep way. For some of you, this is difficult to hear, even though it's the word of God. Yes, it's coming through my mouth, but we're reading the word of God together. Maybe difficult to hear because you may be living in that lifestyle. This is painful. You may struggle with same-sex attraction and you just don't know what to do with that. You may have family members or friends that, that... that this impacts their life. I believe, I don't doubt that every single one of us in this room, this touches someplace deeply in all of our lives. Here's what I want you to know. Is that God is with us in this. That God's word is true and we need to stand on his word. His spirit ministers to us. He helps us. We need to walk through this together and find out how he is desiring to live out his truth in love. When we entered this study in Romans, uh, there was an individual, young man, who uh, had been preparing his story, and he, uh, he felt confident that this was the moment that God would have him to share. Specifically today, um, he felt that he was called to share his story. Uh, so David has been up, if you want to come up, David, David's been up on this platform many times. He's part of the worship team, uh, plays keyboard, and today he has been called by God and is being a mouthpiece to bring his story. Would you please welcome David Kreiser as he shares his story. Good morning, Grace. Watching some of you come up here and share your life story has always brought joy to me. Watching a brother or sister grow in their relationship with Christ has always been a huge encouragement for me. I had felt God nudge me in the direction of sharing my own life story, but when it came to the right time, well, I procrastinated a lot and will try to reason with God as to why I can't do what he has called me to do. When I heard that we were going to be studying Romans, I felt the call to share and remember that God has perfect timing. My name is David Kreiser. I know. It's weird seeing me stand up here and not sit behind the piano, right? I'm 26 years old. I am a Christ follower and I am an ex-gay male. Talking about my story and sexuality may make some people uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable subject. However, God can bring comfort out of discomfort. I was born into a Christian family, and though I cannot tell you a definite age of my salvation, I can assure you it was early on. I grew up going to church, prioritizing sermon over Sunday school, attending VBS, being in choir, going on missions trips. If it had God in it, we did it. 
I grew up knowing right from wrong, saying grace before every dinner, and started a prayer life young. I can recall during kindergarten, I had a crush. She was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen, and this crush persisted until fifth grade. I 100% can tell you, during those years, I would have never thought I'd end up gay. Around the age of 13, when my friends started to really take an interest in girls, I secretly was taking an interest in them. I would never dare to utter a word about what I was feeling inside because I knew right from wrong. My lucky number is 13, but I wish I had never lived my 13th year of life. I was noticing my friends, yes, but what happened to me is something I didn't ask for, nor what I wished on my enemies. I was sexually assaulted by an older youth in the youth group I was in. Rumors were already going around that I was gay, and then that happened. I didn't speak out for a little over half a year because I was too stressed out about it. In time, I told the youth leader, she told the pastor, and eventually I had to talk to the police. This then inevitably forced a conversation with my parents that no child wants to have, in which I had to tell them what had happened to me. All I remember from that conversation is me in tears and a look of horror on my parents that this happened. I was asked if I were gay. I said no. I was, told I, was, uh, I was told I needed counseling, and while counseling can be helpful for a lot of people, my counseling experience with this particular counselor was not helpful. It was the opposite, causing anger in me that I still have to give to God to this day. Every week for almost a year, I was told I needed to have a forgiving heart and that I was not to feel angry or hurt because those feelings are sinful and I might see my assailant in heaven. I was confused because I was aware that Jesus had felt angry, flipping tables in the temple enraged at what was before him. Having had my innocence taken from me and feeling like I was not allowed to feel angry about it was not only confusing, it hurt deeply and only left me with more anger. This was not healing, and to say, and after experiencing this kind of counseling, I was deemed not fit to take the stand. Needless to say, I was still angry. And at that point, I just wanted it to be over with, and I truly wanted to die. I didn't go through with my case, and my assailant was able to hurt others after me, and I regret not being able to go through with it. When it came time for college, I chose to go to Liberty University. I had figured with Liberty being a Christian university, I would be able to grow in Christ and figure out what was wrong with me. At Liberty, during my Worship 101 class, my professor, Dr. Damon, had shared a little testimony about how one of her family members has been living a homosexual lifestyle and how it had brought strain on her family. I had emailed her asking to meet, resulting in a two-hour-long conversation I can recall most of to this day. Knowing the strain on her family, I didn't want to put my family through that. There was a sermon I had heard in which the pastor had said to be open with your struggles, as the body of Christ should do its job and help rally behind you towards victory and overcoming. The thought of being open with struggles around my sexuality felt like it could be a relief, but I feared backlash as all I'd ever heard was that homosexuality is the worst sin in the world. I opened up to a few people and they accepted me as I was. Some even encouraged me to live my life openly gay, and that was all it took for me to delve into a season of massive depression, loads of heartache, and constantly trying to appease a God who I thought would hate me forever, regardless of how much I loved and wanted to serve him. The most important part of my story involves this little church in Memphis, Tennessee, named Winton Baptist Church. I often like to take a step back and see a bird's eye view on my life. I can see how God has directed the course of my actions to get me to Memphis, and then the course of actions he took me to get to Winton Baptist Church. Winton loves hard, and you know you are loved the second you walk in that door. Jeff Shipley is the pastor there, and on my first Sunday attending, he called me out in front of the whole congregation to greet me in the middle of his sermon. You! Stand up! Is this your first time here? Good, I'm glad you came. That embarrassing moment <laughs> made me feel at home. Why? 
because it was a bunch of sinners not afraid to share about their struggles and who would rally behind one another in overcoming their struggles. Witten was where I first learned that you could either live in the sin or you can struggle with it. Living in sin means simply that. You have given yourself over to the thing that controls your life, and to me, that was my sexuality. I didn't want to live a homosexual lifestyle. I can't count the amount of times I have stayed up at night crying until my pillow was soaked, asking God, and then yelling at him to take this away from me. I was never an out and proud person. I came out to my family in a letter. I was sobbing so much I could barely see what I was typing, convinced I was signing my death sentence. Clearly, I was going to hell. Every step I took in the direction of accepting myself as a gay male made me sick to my stomach, but that was the, all the guidance the world would give me and the guidance some professing Christians would give me also. Live your authentic life. Be who you were meant to be. You were born this way. All are lies that the modern culture has tried to sell me, but I have now taken them as truth in Christ, that I am his and he has made me with intention. I was made to be who Christ says I am and I am living my life authentically for him. It's not pretty at times, but I'm doing it. I am being who I was meant to be in Christ. And no, I was not born gay. That does not define me. What defines me is that I was born to serve an almighty God and to be obedient to his ways. We all sin. We all sin. John 8, 7 says, Let ye without sin cast the first stone. But we still like to talk down on the struggling Christian. When you struggle, there needs to be accountability and sometimes intervention, but it needs to be done in a way that ministers to the one struggling. I would be called into meetings only to find out that I was seen around town with a male friend, often being assumed as a date. That only led to a constant fear that I was never living up to the expectations set upon me by my peers. Pastor Jeff took the time to get to know me, minister to me, and love on me the way that he felt Christ would. While at Witten, towards the beginning, I only found community amongst the worship team, as Pastor Jeff had placed me on the team. There was a moment God's truth finally got through to me that this was something I could overcome and that this isn't the worst sin out there. During a sermon, Pastor Jeff of Witten stopped preaching abruptly and said this, To those who want to question as to why there is a struggling Christian in the band, you should take a look in on yourself. Dare I say he's better off than the old biddies in the back gossiping, to all y'all with babies but no daddies, and to even the, those of us like me who loves a good meal. Gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. Homosexuality isn't. And went back to his message. <laughs> At that moment... I knew this sin was something I was going to beat, and I think I'm doing a pretty good job at beating it. Did God take the struggle away? No. Do I wish he did? At times, yes. But then I fear I might lose sight of the end goal. Yes, I want my own family, my wife, and my own children, but I know that my reward is going to be greater in the end if I just live for God. He was my first love back then as a child. He is the driving force of my thoughts throughout the day. And yes, I die to myself daily just so I can one day spend eternity with him. If you live in sin... I would encourage you to search deep inside and try to see why. You cannot serve two masters. If you struggle with sin, fight like your life depends on it, because it does. God can do miracles, but only you can choose to pick up your cross and follow him. Thank you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is 
by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God, we give you thanks. God, that your word is true. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the almighty, the all-powerful, and the all-loving, and that with you nothing is impossible. God, we thank you for David. We thank you, Lord, for your work in his life, for his willingness to share his story with us today. God, we thank you that you're with him every moment, Lord, of his journey, and you continue to be with him even now. Lord, we pray you're continuing covering over his life and that you would lead him and draw him ever closer to yourself. And God, I pray, Father, that his, his sharing of his story, Lord, would cause hope and faith to arise within us. God, that whatever sin, whatever sin, Lord, we've given ourselves to, it has control, but God, you are greater. I thank you, Lord, that you're calling us and you're drawing us to yourself. Lord, I thank you that in you is victory. So God, help us, Lord, to see afresh your great love for us. God, to see, Lord, that you are calling us, that you are drawing us, that you are beside us, and that you are desiring, Lord, to give us uh, the victory that we cannot find on our own. Uh, So God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel is that strong, that powerful. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith community is such an important thing. As David shared his story, that was a key thing in his life. And it's important that we not walk alone. It's a risk. But with our struggles, we need to find safe places that we can reach out. And we can talk about our struggles and, and know that we're not going to be judged, but that we're going to be supported, that we're going to find those that will walk with us. And here at Grace, there are many opportunities for that. And, and we want to extend that invitation to, to come to us as pastors, to come to the pastoral care team, uh, to Stephen Ministry, uh, to counseling. As in him uh, has been mentioned this morning and other counseling options. There's, uh, within ministry, there are so many places uh, that people can come in LR and, and other support groups but we want to encourage you to, to take that, that, that risk and to share and invite somebody with you. Do it wisely. But I believe that there, I'm, in fact, I know that there are many, many places and people here where, where you can find the support and help that will, that, that will, will help you to take that next step. Uh, if talking to somebody feels uncomfortable, then I want to encourage you to email care at gfcshrewsbury.org. Just care, C-A-R-E, at gfcshrewsbury.org. So this, the passage as we continue, it says that, that God gave them over to sexual impurity. God gave them over to shameful lust. And then finally, in verse 28, it says to a depraved mind without the knowledge of God. I'm going to actually list here because, as I said so many times with this passage, People go here specifically because of, of the discussion, the addressing of homosexuality. But the reality is that there are over 20 other sins that are listed from here forward that are a result of a depraved mind. And what happens is that when we fail to acknowledge God in our thinking, we can all be led astray in tons of different ways. I so appreciate, uh, again, David's quote of that, of, of that pastor, gossip was mentioned and gossip is mentioned in this list. I'm going to read down through it. And this is what happens to us, to people, as we, again, uh, th- that we ignore the, the knowledge of God in our thinking. 
says verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. That depraved means a reprobate mind, a foolish way of thinking, an unprincipled thought pattern. So that they do what, what ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They, are, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. This is what happens to us when we fail to, to keep the knowledge of God foremost in our thinking, that we can be led astray into these sins. And then it says that, that also that it's not only doing these things, but then approving of others. You know, so many times when we do something wrong, we just need somebody else to come alongside us that's doing the same wrong thing. And we allow that to be a justification of support instead of helping lead us to the conviction, to the help that we need. But this whole passage, this entire passage, verses 18 through 32, again, it's describing mankind living apart from God. And we all were once living apart from God. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to listen to the first seven verses. I want to encourage you again to go and read this on your own. Same author, God's speaking through Paul, this time to the believers at the church in Ephesus, says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might share the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Such were some of us. We all came from there. And only by the grace of God, the power of the gospel, do we have life and forgiveness and we become trophies of God in the ages to come. So as we look at God's wrath, the rescue from God's wrath, here's the last thing that I'd like us to look at. We looked at the why of God's wrath. We looked at the weight of God's wrath. And now we're going to look at the wake up of God's wrath. What God's wrath is meant to do for us as believers and is this, unashamed Christians proclaim freedom from God's wrath. That we have this good news, this message of the gospel. But here's the thing, is that we're, we're hesitant to speak about what is wrong. But we, if we don't call out, if we don't say that here's the sickness, how are we going to offer the cure? If we don't say that this is the disease, how are we going to offer that, that which is a treatment? If people don't realize that they're under a death sentence, then what does a pardon mean to them? Can I say that again? If people don't realize that they are under a death sentence then what good is a pardon to them? But we are those who have been called to call people from the wrath of God. We have this good message, this good news. We have this message of the gospel, and we should declare, we should, we must declare it unashamedly. 
Now we can choose, there's two different ways to address things. We can choose to curse the darkness or to shine the light. We can curse the darkness or shine the light. In the name of Jesus, may we be those who shine the light, who carry the light of the gospel to the world that again proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The world's a mess. I don't think anybody will argue that the world is a mess. But yet God has come to give life and redemption to this world. He is our only hope. So we've talked about present wrath in this passage, but I mentioned a future wrath. And that is a final judgment that will come one day. That is irreversible. It is permanent. But here's the thing. God has already poured out his future wrath on Jesus Christ. That judgment Jesus took on himself. This is the good news of the gospel. God's anger towards sin has been satisfied in Christ's death because his wrath has been poured out on him at Calvary. Have you accepted that forgiveness? Have you received that provision of God through Jesus Christ? For those that have trusted in Christ, Christ has already been punished for you. There is not a punishment. Do we still have hard times? Yes, but they are refining times. They are not God's wrath being poured out. God's wrath was born in Christ. When we step into relationship with God through Christ, that wrath is satisfied. No man needs to suffer God's eternal wrath. Jesus suffered it for us. But only those who trust in him can share in God's salvation through him. God's future wrath falls only on those who reject the suffering of Jesus Christ, bearing God's wrath in their place. We must share with them the gospel that God has made a way through Jesus Christ. Be unashamed. Speak the truth in love. Allow the power of the gospel to convict of sin and to lead to righteousness. I want to close with this quote from John Piper. We rescue from God's wrath. John Piper says this, God is revealing the gift of righteousness for all who will believe on Christ. And with that righteousness, there is no wrath or condemnation on us anymore. For you, whoever you are who believe, death becomes a gateway to paradise. Suffering becomes a pathway to holiness. And sin becomes a dethroned enemy that we fight by the power of God's spirit. There's victory for us in Christ. As we receive and walk in that victory, there's victory for a lost world. Grace, would you please stand with me? This song that we're gonna close with is so powerful as a message that God has just dovetailed with this message. Would you uh, please just lift your voices in song and in praise to our God?